If I went home and told my parents I was being bullied, they would have been like, like, what's wrong with you? What's that? We just ran away from bombs and, and killing and all that stuff. And we left and you're complaining about bullying. Like, what is that? I was the youngest of my siblings. I, I used to stand up. So you're already brothers. used to everyone. Yeah, so, yeah but they were like, well, you. if you're going to be a tough guy at home, then yeah. you better be a tough guy outside too. You know, you, you all, you know, standing up to your brothers, but then outside people are saying all these things to you and you're not saying anything. So it was, I remember that in the back of my head and I was like, you know what, if somebody says, you know, a racist word to me or makes fun of me or something like that, I'm going to tell them, don't say that. Like, that's yeah. not cool. Welcome. This is Akma Farah. And can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your, to start our conversation today? Um, coming here. Thank you so much. Um, so my name is Akma Farah. I'm a, a former Canadian national champion, national team coach. I'm the current owner of Authentic Taekwondo. Um, I am a father of uh, two beautiful kids and uh, I have a lovely wife named Megan. Um, and uh, we just currently actually moved to Markham so I can oh. be closer to work. Um, I've been living in Canada and uh, obviously a Canadian citizen for 32 years now. Um, and um, yeah, I would love to have the discussions on, uh, on the journey so far. Yeah, thank you for being here today. It's really amazing to have you. Um, so I guess just starting with your journey, you mentioned like you 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 came to Canada, so that's a huge moment. There is just coming to Canada on its own. What was that journey like for you in coming to Canada? Um, so obviously, you know, coming coming to Canada, and not speaking English very well, um, you know, not really knowing how cold Canada can get. Yeah, uh, was you know it had its challenges, um, but uh, at the same time. I think it, those challenges were important in my development um, as the person that I am today. Um, I think it's made me more resilient and, and tough because of it. Um, and as I was, I was mentioning earlier, I actually had a talk with uh, uh, some students from grade six to eight uh, just last week about bullying and anti-racism. And you know, one thing I mentioned right from the get-go is that I would say, you know, majority of the school, if there was 100 people in that school, I would say 99 people in that school were incredible people. They were very kind. They were very welcoming. They were very loving. Mm-hmm. But there was always that one person that made that, that, uh, that environment or that feeling um, really, um, you know, bitter. How old were you when, when you came? I was 11. You were 11. Okay. okay. I was 11. So you're very aware of everything uh, that's happening at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was aware of, you know, the, the, the war that was going on in my country uh, I was aware of, um, you know, the neighboring country that we visited, Pakistan, for about a year, I think year and a half, and what the environment was over there. And then obviously, you know, um, applying, you know, living in Pakistan as refugees and then applying for uh, immigrant status to come to Canada. Uh, so I, I remember, you know, even in Afghanistan, like uh, the war that took place and, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, my parents would wake us up because we'd hear gunfire and mm-hmm. then like rockets, you know, flying over our... So so you're in which city in Afghanistan? Kabul. So you're in like in the, the capital. In the capital. And, um, and that's where your family was there for how many generations? So like... Yeah, for as long as uh, right? we can we can go back. Right. We, yeah, we were... Wow. Yeah. So you're there. This is like homeland, home, home. And do you have any memories of before the war started? A war started? So I, I actually... Um, like, when was it like... Remember when you were just a kid? 
Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because when he gave the introduction, it's everything that you are today. Yeah, and I'd like to meet the guy before that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. So I'm thinking way, way back um, when you were just happy days in Afghanistan. Do you remember that? Were there yeah. such times? Uh, absolutely. You yeah. know, uh, you, you know, Eid is one of the uh, festivities in Afghanistan. It's like Christmas, mm-hmm. and I, I remember. You know, you. You you wear new clothes, you know, your parents give you money and, you know, you can go and spend it any way you want. And as a young kid, like six, seven years old, yeah. that's huge. You know, yeah. you can buy anything you want. Yeah, it's a lottery. <laughs> uh, you go and visit with your cousins and, you know, uh, the weather, I, need, you just, I just remember the weather. Like it's sunny and it's beautiful. Um, and obviously, you, you know, it's, it's a nice time. We're chasing our cousins. We're playing tag. We're doing all these really fun stuff. And, and that's what memories that's you know when I actually think about the kids now who are actually isolating in the pandemic your memories as a child is playing with yeah. other kids and running yeah. around and being out and about and being free. experiences yeah. absolutely uh, so those were those are my experiences you know going to school um, uh, you know uh, walking home with my friends you know as a very young kid you know seven years old six years old um, and and it was it was a very safe uh, you know very free environment. So this was going on up until what what age about? So uh, it was around, um, I would say, probably uh, eight years old, okay. eight, when nine the war years old. Started? Yeah. So the war had already kind of began in 1979. There was a lot of political things that were going on. Um, and then around 1987, uh, you know, because it had been going on for so long, people were like, you know, they're kind of like telling my parents, like, this is going to end soon. So where are you going? Um. So, so and, it was it wasn't yet like a military kind of a conflict. It was political conflict. People just arguing about stuff. There was not yet. You wouldn't see. You wouldn't hear the the guns, the, the guns and the the bombs going off. It was like obviously you, there's an eight year span in there, right? Which I'm just trying to understand a little bit better. So you go from happy days, running around in the streets, you're hearing rumblings, right? And when it first starts, how did that feel like? So we were seeing like the Russian tanks driving on our streets. You would see them? like a fleet of child. them as a child. Yeah, okay. and we knew, like we 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 just see them. What about the first time you saw that? Did did that look like normal to you? Or like, what was, knew, what's that? We knew that they weren't really there for us. Oh, yeah. Like we somehow we knew that. Huh. But now you look back and you know you 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 study this the events that were happening and you realize that they were actually there to just kind of maintain the peace. Okay. You know, they they wanted like a peaceful neighbor, a stable a stable political neighbor beside them. There was a lot of um, so from 1934 until 1974, we had um, Zahir Shah, right. who was the king, and there was peace and stability and prosperity. Um, and then his cousin overthrew him, okay. and then his cousin a year and a half, two years later, was uh, killed. By another guy, and then so then the, there was this. Everyone okay. trying to claim power. Everyone trying to claim power. It, you know, there has never really been a peaceful transition of power in Afghanistan. Maybe I think 1929 was once, okay. and then obviously when the U.S. took over, and then there were some. So politics. throughout your childhood, this like turmoil was already something kind of happening in the background. Yeah, it was kind okay. of percolating. Yeah, and that, okay, and the only time there was like stability is really within. The capital, the outskirts were kind of like, you know, uh, agriculture, uh, you know, not really as well developed Mm -hmm. as as the main city. Um, But regardless, we lived a very good life. My dad worked for the United Nations, Uh, which was, you know, uh, huge for. uh, And then my mom worked, which was huge. She was a teacher, Mm -hmm. a very common um, 
work for women in Afghanistan. Um, so we we didn't we had really no reason. We had a beautiful house. We had our whole family there. There was no reason for us to leave. Uh, so everybody was like, "Why are you going?" It's like us who live comfortably yeah. here who have developed. Why rock the boat? Why rock the boat? Did you understand why why you were going? No, I was I was too young and I was kind of like kept out of that. You're, <laughs> you're amongst the younger of your siblings too, as well. I happen to know some of them, and you know. But um, so so speak to that a little bit. Like, did you have any idea like why you're going? Did you ask? Did do you ever wonder? Um, I didn't ask. It was kind of like we were going on a family vacation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. packing up. But yeah. don't what tell, we're doing. But don't tell anybody because uh, it was a communist state, yeah. and so we were leaving right. the communist state. And so if they find out that you're escaping, you, you could, you know, you could be jailed. We had a lot yeah. of that growing up, too. Yeah? Yeah, like you would know as a family. You, well, you wouldn't know everything, but you would know. What you needed to know. You would know not to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. You would not, you would know that. And that was made, like, clear to you. It's going to be so right? stressful as a child, things. though. Well, you know, we just you don't think just, about it. Yeah, like, you don't even process it. It's well, just also, the way culture it is. there is like, if you talk about it, <laughs> it's like, maybe, like, I don't yeah. know, but like, that's a feeling I got. It was like, yeah. you talk about this one, like, you know, so, so like you're, you're a child, but then you're being brought into this world that is already that way. Right. And then you're mo- you're moving. So carry on. Yeah. You had no idea. So my two oldest brother, they were mm-hmm. of that age where they were they were going to be recruited into the military. OK. Mm. And I obviously I believe that my parents didn't believe in this war. Right. So they didn't want their sons to be fighting for a cause that didn't kind of jive with their feelings. Yeah. And they were, I think, 14, 15, just about time where they get a bit of facial hair yeah. and uh you know, the soldiers are walking around the markets, you know, looking for 14, 15 year olds. And the worst part is they just they just check check your ID and then they just take you. Yeah. And then you hear from the military's office your son your is Your son has in been deployed. taken. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, you're aware of this going on, obviously. And so you're... yeah, I see the soldiers walking around checking people's passports and you know IDs, ID cards and stuff like that. So my parents actually sent my two oldest brother first, uh, and and um, they they were sent out first, and then we were gonna follow them out. Uh, because they were so scared that they were going to be recruited. So they sent them out first. And, and so sent them to whom, sorry? Yeah, sent them out where? Yeah. So they kind of like... Because uh, they're still kids. Yeah, yeah. They're, kids. they're 14, 15, but he's like, okay, um, you know, I don't know the exact details of how they did it. Yeah. But there are people that will, you know, you pay them some money sure. and they'll, they'll take your kids out into and safety. And take them to a safe take space. Take them to a safe space. And then we would go there. And then together as a family, we would go to the neighboring country. So, so you yeah. remember this part. And your, your, your brothers, you're close to them, you're spending time. How did you feel about, like, two of them gone all of a sudden? Um, what, like, what is that? So it was actually really scary oh, because they actually got caught on the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, my mom actually said this to me about a month ago. And he's like, even though we told Adib you know, not to say anything, he told one of his friends. He's like, I'm leaving. Ah. <laughs> so his friend came and right. he's like, yeah, so he's already on his way out. And his friend came and knocked on the door and was like, I'm looking for Adib. And he's like, oh, Adib is blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, he actually told me he's leaving. And my mom was like, yeah. <laughs> specifically. But he's 14, said, right? Yeah. Yeah. The teenage yeah. brain, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, you have this loyalty. You're developing this loyalty with your friends. Too. Right. So you yeah. want to be like, hey, you know, you're my friend. But um, you want to say goodbye. You want to say goodbye. Yeah. But you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's, you know, even your your relatives, you know, your yeah. cousins and your uncles and your aunts, your your brothers. Yeah. So you know you can't say goodbye to people. Yes. And you're and now and your brothers are the first ones to go. 
and then you leave. And then you leave. Did you ever feel like, I remember this happening, we left for different reasons, obviously, when we were moving, but did, did you ever, like, were you not able to take something with you that you wanted to take? <laughs> did that ever happen? Um, was there something? I was, so this is actually a funny story because I was really good at marbles on the street. So playing with marbles, yeah. um, you know, so um, I had I had a huge collection of marbles. Yeah. I would say maybe like a hundred, if not two hundred marbles. Mm-hmm. I had yeah. beaten all my kids. It was, yeah. 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 So, you earned that. Yeah. So we were, like... we were out of our house and staying at this person's house who was kind of like the safety place. And then from there, we were going to leave in the middle of the night. And my brother still make fun of me to this day. And it's like, I asked my parents if I can go and get my collection of marbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, no way. You can't do <laughs> No, so there was nothing. There was, That's like gut-wrenching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked so hard, worked hard, hard for that. that. Right? Yeah. So you leave these marbles. I mean, everyone's talking about like life and money and you... The marbles is like everything <laughs> yeah. to you, that's right? His currency. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's your currency. Yeah, that's my currency. That's but my you had to like, yeah. you had to give that up, right? Yeah. And and you're you're walking. You have any realization at that point in time? Like, you, like how did that feel? Because then now you're going to somewhere else, and it's like I call that like your first loss. Like you know, mm-hmm. like you're like, you know, that that, that you've experienced. Um, and your brother looking. was caught too, though. Like we missed that part. Like your brother, how was so he caught? caught. So, yeah, that's the part that. So, the, so there's checkpoints when you're going from one city yeah. to another. Yeah. All these, so I think they looked at their, their their papers and they didn't believe them, and they just said they just turned them back. Oh, luckily. Yeah. Okay. So nothing really. Bad nothing happened. too detrimental happened. Yeah. They just turned them back, and then so you know instead of leaving two days from now, it took us a week longer to leave, um, and then we we all left together. But I remember, um, you know, uh, I don't know exactly the kilometers from Kabul to, to Peshawar, Pakistan. Um, you know, I would guess probably like 500 kilometers. I'm not really sure. But the terrain is very mountainous and it took us 16 days yeah. to get there. Uh, was oh, because you're going up and down the mountains? Like down the mountains, lorries, uh, you yeah. know, from one truck to another, you know. Were you were you just with your family or not now were you like being consolidated? Consolidated. So once right. we get out of the city, yeah. in a you know in a in a in a car, yeah. then we were put in a truck with a whole bunch of other people that are waiting to get out too. Mm. And then then you move to another point, and then we're sleep we're sleeping at a, at mosques or yeah. random places. Right. And then from there, they feed us a little bit of tea and some yeah. bread. And then from there, we consolidate with another group that are going this way. Then we go there. So did you? Why this is important to for me to try to understand better is that like, you know, it's like you're moving from your old self to like a new self that you don't even know mm-hmm. what it's going to look like yet. In this case, you don't have a choice in, in many a times when we're trying to move from one self to another self, there's a choice. So we stay because our marbles are here. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But and that's the them. lock. Right. I call them the golden handcuffs. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. locks us in. And what's interesting to me in this, like for our purposes and understanding the that that journey, that experience is here you had no choice. And you had to leave the marbles. You don't know where you're going, the new person who you're going to be or what awaits you. And you're now gaining like a sense of realization that it's not necessarily where all my friends are. Uh, it's I don't even know these people. They don't even know me. So your foundational pieces, you go from having street credit Forget the street credit. Now the foundation's (laughs) gone. Yeah. And you're starting to become aware of this, but you have no choice. You got to keep going. Did you, uh, you, you already made one attempt and it was like, it was like you're as much as you could to go back and get the marbles. You told, no, I love that in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I, I sympathize for the moment, but it's like you couldn't, right? Even if there was space, it's too late now. So did you ever try to make other attempts along the way? Did you ever have thoughts of wanting to go back? While you're this kid going through this, through the terrain, through the lorry, through sleeping in these places, you, you had a comfortable lifestyle. And th- th- was there ever a part of that that you can recall going, I just want to go back? You know, uh, and I'm sure you, you can relate. It's like kids are very resilient, mm-hmm. I, I find, working with kids over the years. And it's like, I think genuinely I was just living the experiences. I was really living the experiences. I remember... You didn't miss your friends? Um, no, I, it was like I was I was on this uh, very exciting experience. Okay, but you so also you saw had it your core that. family. Yeah. You had your yeah, core had family core with family. you. So yeah, right. I, yeah. I mean, it, I think that made a huge difference. The fact that my brothers were there, the fact that my yeah. mom and my dad were so there. So you're reunited with your brothers really, at this point. Yeah. So okay. We were all traveling. They, yeah, together. they all went together. At that mm. time. You know, and I was looking at you know. I remember there's one point where we were at, at some place, but we had kind of like we didn't know where we were going. But I remembered. So I was kind of like... So it's more exciting yeah. than it is like in wonder yeah. about the future. And and all of those things that you valued before, well, you still valued them. You still value them, but you don't, but you know, you don't know how long they're going to be gone for. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, in about a month, you, you know, it's only been a few days. We're still mm-hmm. trekking mm-hmm. and the excitement kind of continues. So we're going, you know, I remember there's one point, I don't know how true this is, but they were like, you know... Uh, everybody hide because there's jets overhead. They're very high up, mm. but hide and then hide your nails and stuff like that too because they can see you. I don't know how true that is, mm-hmm. but you That's know, little things like yeah. that. This it's like. But you remember that detail. I remember that detail, and I remember you know being scared. Like okay, we have to hide and kind of keep ourselves away from the jets that they can they can't see us. And then once it kind of flies over, then we get up and kind of continue doing what we were doing before. So, you know, what's interesting to me there is that you see it's that whole, um, how else can I say, like the windshield in the rear view mirror, mm-hmm. right? So he's looking at the windshield. He just keeps looking at the windshield mm-hmm. and he's excited. You're excited about the future instead of um, thinking about what's Where left behind. Yeah. And that enough, call it, distracts you to keep going. Because you know how many kids you hear, I, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. Like there's that feeling. I want to go home. You never had that feeling. I, I no, I find a lot of in my experience in working with kids that have have come from like I was saying before. Like I right. worked in schools where eighty percent of the the kids, the right. constituency, were new immigrants to Canada, and many of them were coming from situations such as yourself. But I find it so interesting just hearing it from a, reflecting from an adult perspective because. You just keep moving forward. And when your your family, you know, is not living in a state of fear, they're fearful. They're fearful of things that are around them and being cautious. But your parents must have been engaging in some way to say, OK, like they're smiling. They're engaging with you. They're moving forward. You had some kind of. But were they? Uh, were they? Were people smiling? Um, your parents, your poor parents, when you, cause when you do these, I can't you, imagine people smiling through this. Parents will, really. there'll be you laughter. There'll be, aside from your parents, you, you, you notice like, is this a fun thing or is this a serious I thing? I can see, I yeah. can see the nervousness in yeah. their faces. Yeah. I could see it, but you know what? Um, obviously I credit my parents for making that judgment call to say, let's go. Yeah. You know, we have everything here, but we want to make sure our kids are okay. I really, really do. And I, you know, it, you didn't yeah. know all that at the I time. I didn't know that. No. I didn't know that at all. And I also give my mom a lot of credit. She was a very strong woman. Yeah. Yeah. For her to be like, no, I know my husband is comfortable here and I know 
we have a decent life, but I can't see my kids going through that. And really, like, even the, through the treks, like, my mom really took charge. Yeah. 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 You know, and a lot of people, you, you know, um, you know, kind of like stereotype the, the, you know, the Afghan or the South Asian or the Middle Eastern women. But you oh, know they what? have no idea. Yeah, they <laughs> do, no idea. Those who do that have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> they run the show. They're, oh, they're the, the strongest show. kind. Yeah. The yeah. Strongest. To me, like I've seen, yeah. My yeah. mom is incredibly strong, strong, incredibly resilient, incredibly tough. Strong yeah. on the inside. In, inside, you know, inside, inside yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the way she brought us up, um, you know, uh, she really took charge of the family. Yeah. And even through those trekking, there was points where we could have been left behind. Like, oh, this truck is full. Wait for the next one. And my mom was stepping up and saying, mm. like, no. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny you talk about surrounding yourself with the right people. Earlier on, we were talking about this. I'm just trying to observe the the, the situation from uh, just from an abstract point of view, right? So here's like leaving the old, going to the new, no choice, right? And a support that's there. I mean, that seems to kind of like stand out a lot Mm -hmm. in in the story that you're talking about, Uh, even though you're unaware of it at the moment. So in that case, like life made a choice somewhat for you. But uh, that's the other part is that had you been able to make that choice, right? Sometimes what, what is it that, that, that we want to do? Go get the life has different, you know, yeah. Like, you know, different plans. Yeah. So I, I love that about it. So carry on. So you went to, you ended up in Peshawar eventually. We ended up in Peshawar, um, you know, right away. My, my parents put us in school, which was great. Um, okay. So you, you know, stayed there for a while. Stayed, stayed there for a while. Um, you know, I think I was in grade four over there. People speak the same language. I was there. just thinking that. So we <laughs> yeah. actually went to a refugee school where there was an Afghan. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was a there was all Afghans uh, there. The teachers were Afghan. They were teaching us about science, about math, and you know we were learning a little bit of English. Um, Did you know that this art. is like a different kind of a school? Uh, I'm in Pakistan. I'm in I'm in a certain specific special situation. Did that ever? Uh, I, I don't think I was too aware of okay. what was going on. I just like, okay, well, this is the new life. And yeah. so here we go. Let's go to school. Let's go to right. school. Yeah. Okay. Do, do our Keep best. Going. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then from there, we, we kind of moved to Islamabad. We, you know, we, we were getting ready to kind of like um, move to Canada. And it was closer to the embassy where I think a lot of the interviews and stuff like that were happening. So we, you know, we moved to Islamabad and then from Islamabad, uh, finally, in 1989. So, yeah. so, how long were you in Pakistan then? For? I think maybe a, a year and a half. Okay, not yeah. too long. So we were maybe yeah. like about a year or something in in Peshawar, and then maybe another six seven months in Islamabad. Okay. What when you were at school, going to school in in Peshawar or even in Islamabad for the time that you were there, did you notice any other kids around you not being okay with the situation, or you know, acting out, or whatever you want to call it? In that situation, I didn't notice. You didn't notice. Like I think we were all just kind of like you know, eager to see our friends and and hang out and be a part just of something. Just be a kid, yeah. yeah. And actually, you know what? I still have a friend from Peshawar who moved to Montreal. We mm. still stay oh, connected. Yeah. yeah, like more than thirty years later. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we actually moved from Peshawar, and then when we moved to Islamabad, he was our neighbor. Mm. And then like he moved January of nineteen eighty nine to. Uh, Canada and we moved February 1989 to Canada mm-hmm. yeah so we still kind of stay connected but we were never like I, I don't think we ever sat around and kind of felt sorry for ourselves no. we were always like you know what's next this is it this is it yeah, yeah. What, what's next how are we going to make it better uh, I'm just wondering because I um, I've never had this kind of conversation like face to face with somebody who's gone through like you have right yeah. so usually different though like for usually us, like, for uh, yeah, like, I'm a, like yeah. part of a migrant family as well but not going through that same process yeah 
And um, and I'm just trying to think. I'm just wondering, was did anybody show any signs of fatigue or not being okay with this? Because um, they're leaving. I, like, it, it just doesn't add up in my head that they're having to leave everything. They, they had good reason to go. They had something to look forward to. I think you kind of just go into to. action mode. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's just like a, like, a, like a fight instinct kicks in and you just kind of mobilize and go into action. And from what I've learned from hearing a lot of people's stories is that sadness and stuff comes when they finally truly settle sometimes, right? And they realize what they've gone through to get to Canada or get to wherever they're going. That's what I've learned from people's stories. I don't know if that resonates with your experience with it, with your so, family. Uh, to be, so I think as, as children, we are always like, you know, we're looking for the next excitement, you know? Um, yeah. But I think mm. I was definitely harder on my parents, you know, because they had, they missed their brothers and their sisters right. and their family and their, you didn't work. Notice any sign I didn't notice any sign of it. Obviously, you know what, for us, it was just like, okay, well we're here you know, and our parents, you know, how I think they conducted themselves um, made an impact on us. So if mm-hmm. we saw them sad and yeah. being like lonely and missing out, then maybe it would affect us. But I think we didn't really see that. Uh, or if, if they were, they didn't really show they it. They protected you from that's it. A, that's a huge credit to them. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. it was, we, I never really saw that in them. And they, and, you know, um, you know, my parents are very religious uh, and, you know, one of the things about religion is that it makes you grateful for everything that you have. And, you know, as far as I can remember, they've always been incredibly grateful for every opportunity that they've had. And they were, even when we arrived, um, you know, in Pakistan and in Canada, you know, they were, you know, even though we were upper middle class in Afghanistan and then poor in Canada, mm-hmm. they were grateful. They're like, we have peace. We got we have where stability. we wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have to. There is no rationing of, of stuff anymore. You know, where in Afghanistan it's like, you know, there's not and there's not a lot of stuff for people like toothbrushes and toothpaste and stuff like that. Like there's a ration on it. So you go and you want to buy it, but you can't because it's, they've run out. Mm-hmm. But that it doesn't exist anymore. Like just the basic necessities we were incredibly grateful for to have a roof over our right. head. A, toothpaste, you know, shampoo, toothpaste, shampoo, soap. Just soap, <laughs> yeah. warm water, yeah. warm water. Like it's such a... All the things we take for granted. for granted. We don't even think about like warm yeah. water, but it makes a huge it's difference. It's a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, or water in your house water too. In your house. <laughs> I know, electricity. Like, yeah. You know, there's times when, you know, there's times when they would shut down electricity because there, there's too much demand on it. So they would shut it down in the coldest nights. It doesn't matter what it was. They yeah. would shut it down. And then you're kind of sitting there in the dark, but it was okay because you kind of just hang out with your family yeah. and tell stories. And that's the way it was, right? That's the way it was. Yeah. So now you land here in February Canada. February of okay. 89. Yeah. February, you said 20, whatever day it was. 24. Coldest month of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember? You Obviously, you remember the day. I do. I do remember the day. Um, and um, it was it was very, very cold. And, you know, I think a few days later, we were taken to schools. You know, my, I was taken to um, middle school and my brothers were going to high school um and you know we were sitting there and i guess the toughest part at that time is like okay well we were kind of like just going with the motion you know mm-hmm. math was difficult english obviously was difficult you know trying you know if you don't know you know a lot of the basics of math it's hard to get to the more advanced parts of it yeah. so it's like trying to understand a lot of the stuff that the teacher was saying I didn't understand it. And then obviously on top of that, he was saying it in English was really difficult. So trying to catch up to all that stuff was really, really tough. 
and then obviously trying to, you know, maintain a kind of like a social setting, which I am very social. You know, I remember in Afghanistan, like running around with my cousins mm-hmm. and my friends in the in in the playground was you know there's no real play, playground and your adolescence yeah. at that point so you're very aware of it just developmentally as yeah. well right social is kind of so, everything so, so you're saying some things that i i just <laughs> i, I want to ask you some more about just the thing that you just talked about with we and i know what you mean but i'd love to hear your perspective on this is you're you're trying to learn math but it's being taught in English, yeah. which you, you don't understand. understand. Okay, <laughs> so, so stop right there yeah. for a second. Yeah. And let us I just want to understand a bit better because it's amazing how many times in life, right, we need to learn something, but we need to learn something to be able to learn, to learn that. We need to learn. And we don't even have that. Right. That's where you are now. This, so then what do you do? So well, you like, just, huh? you just, you <laughs> what just, did you do? Yeah, you just tough it out. You just what do you mean you toughed it out? Like you just you just sit there. And you got you failing grades. At some point, up. does someone start showing you that you're failing and you're not you're not going to make it? You ever get that feeling? Absolutely. So you you know obviously you take your report cards home and your yeah. parent sees it. Yeah. You know you're not doing very good, and mm. so you know it's like so you go become, from like you know street credit, street credit <laughs> marble, <laughs> you know marble king, marble king yeah. to this. Yeah. To this, to like uh, all of a sudden starting from the ground up. Yeah. Like Even below. Below, absolutely. Right. Yeah, um, you're starting at a deficit. And so then your parents that, are looking yeah. at you that you yeah. know, here we are making these sacrifices for you and right. you don't get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't understand. So How does that like, feel for that moment there? <laughs> you feel like a definite failure. You, you feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm not doing enough. I'm trying my best, but it's not enough. And then, and, and honestly, like February we landed in Canada. By June, I was okay to go I was out of ESL. Wow. I was out of ESL and put into French in September of grade seven. So what do you, mean, that was what do you a, mean you were put into French? I was, well, could so, you go into, you have an opportunity to do, did you do French, French immersion? Did you, French or did you do French? Yeah. You're teaching English, obviously, and then you have a French course as well. He would have been exempted as, well. as okay. ESL. Yeah. As ESL, you don't, exactly. You yeah. don't go to French classes. So everybody has an, <gasps> oh, one yeah. French course that everybody has to take. Okay. So here I am trying to learn English. And now I'm put into French wow. within the same within year. This, within like by September of yeah, the same know, calendar same year, different academic year. Which is taught to you exactly in English in, in a way, English, right? Yeah. So it's, and I'm completely mean? lost. I'm yeah. completely lost. So obviously, so you feel like you're failing. Yeah, I feel like I'm failing. So and? obviously, when I when I get to high school, I have a decision to make. You have oh, to have one French credit, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. I'm never taking French again. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Yeah, <laughs> My, yeah. I'm not a language person yeah. either. So it was really really difficult. But you know you, you know, you have other subjects that you're doing well at. You know, like what? Like, what, what did you feel that gave you that strength? I think I'm doing good at something. You know, obviously, gym was an easy uh, credit to do. There it well. is. You know, you acted. You well, for you, around. for me, yeah, okay. it, was, it was great. I think uh, science was okay. Science yeah. was mm-hmm. uh, was good. Um, and and you know, you try to catch up with other other classes as well as best as you can. But at the same time, you know, I think teachers are very understanding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your experience the, when you come into the school? Because I know a lot of kids when I've worked with them, you know. It, Although the kids I get usually is because it's behavioral, right? Behavior is a form of communication. But some a lot of kids will internalize their struggles when they're a new immigrant. And so when you're there, like, did you encounter like teasing, bullying, any kind of like social issues as a result of being, you know, a new kid in the classroom that doesn't speak the language, you you know, probably dressed differently, probably not dressed appropriately for the weather <laughs> because you're not used to the weather, like, what was that like for you from a social perspective when you're in the thick of 
you know, trying to learn the language, trying to get grades and you're failing. And, and then you're dealing with this social structure that's so important at the age like 11. That's a huge, a huge developmental stage socially. So it was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, 99% of the people in the school were, we're incredibly yeah. welcoming. They were very kind. Um, but obviously there was that one person that was, you know, uh, you know, wanted to bring themselves up by putting you down yeah. and you know, making fun of you and everybody around you laughing. But I also, you know, going back in that moment, I didn't know what they were saying and I didn't know what to do. And obviously as time went by, I understood what they were saying. But by that time, I felt like it was maybe a little bit too late because what happens with bullies in particular, and I remember it going back in that time, is like one person is making fun of you and then they're laughing and then other people are laughing and then they realize that this person is not really fighting back and now there's two. Then there's three and then there's four and all of a sudden you become kind of like the punching bag for a lot of people's jokes. Um, So So you didn't get this was happening while it's happening. At the beginning, I didn't. But then obviously, by the time I understood it, yeah. you know, and the racist names and yeah. the, the things that they were saying to me, right. I understood it. And then um, I think, you know, you develop uh, a personality because of that. You know, maybe you, you use humor to try and like deflect the attention. Right. Or, you know what, your ego kind of like says, hey, you know what, like that's not cool. And so you stand up. So obviously, you know, there's there's a, you know. How a, did you react? Which one did you take? I think I did a little bit of both. I think, mm-hmm. I did, you know, obviously, you know, you know, speaking of wins and losses, you know, I've had my battles in the yeah. in the school yard, you yeah. know, going out yeah. after school and saying, you know, it's like they say something, they say something, and then you're like, you know what, buddy, like that's not cool. Like you, you know, you're not a nice person either in, mm-hmm. a, in a more yeah. Yeah, yeah. demeaning way. And then they're like, okay, fine, and it's like they're waiting for that. Okay, I'll see you after school, mm-hmm. and then. Right. Throughout the day, everybody's all, you know, Akmal and blah, 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 after school, it's going to happen. Yeah. And then yeah. they're like hyping. There's like, a, you know, it's like a pay-per-view fight. They're gonna oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, after yeah, school. Yeah. 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 And so it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And then so now, you know, I don't know. Did the teachers hear about it? Are they going to come and confront <laughs> yeah. that kid and, and yeah. Akmal and say, guys, I hear you guys are going to go out today. Like, why didn't they? Now I look back. You yeah. know, right now I'm thinking about it. It's like, why didn't they bring us together? And be like, If I see you guys. You guys are going to be both in big trouble. Go back to your class and respect each other. Shake hands, do whatever. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And this was multiple times. Mm-hmm. And obviously, sometimes you win and sometimes you mm-hmm. lose. And either way, it it builds the character that you have inside mm-hmm. of you. And it's just a matter of standing up for yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. Maybe not, you know, obviously. I not necessarily keep, physically, but with your words. Answer. yeah, Because it doesn't end. It yeah. does not end. No. It can get, especially nowadays, and especially in the age or the, the, the neighborhood that you live in, it can be very, very bad. Yeah. So you don't want to go that route, regardless of who you are, where you are, and what you do. But it, you did. I had to. You, well, see, that's the point, yeah. I feel, for the for the kids that, that do it. And you probably hear this, is that they feel they have to. Yeah. Right? I mean, what, what's your alternative, right? So you go through this. Um, it's interesting to me that you, that you chose that. Today, obviously, you have to speak from this perspective of who you are. But what I find interesting is that it, whether you call that, um, you know, maybe not your best decision, right? You might say that today. But at that time, it was a necessary decision for you to make, to stand up for yourself. I didn't know better. Yeah. Yeah. No one told me that, you know what, when somebody confronts you I, I and grabs you I don't see a problem with standing shirt, up for yourself. I don't you see just, a problem with it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, no one told me that you could have avoided that. See, I so, didn't stand up for myself. 
you did stand up for yourself. That there's a like I'm telling you from a person who didn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Like you, uh, I could see like when when you're talking right now. I'm like that's exactly what happened. But I never fought because I couldn't. I didn't. I wasn't good in gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you, know, you already had, you had that. You have a gift. Obviously, we're going to get to that later. Like, but you had that, and so you lean on your strengths. Why not? There's nothing wrong with that, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. I mean, the laws and the rules and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. But you, you, you had the ability to stand up for yourself. You had older brothers who like give you your strength and they're your support. You have a strong mother. Like all these things give you the strength. So you stand up for yourself. Because I, again, I didn't. <laughs> and I can tell you, sometimes I look back and go, could have stood up for myself. Somebody else stood up for me sometimes. But, you know, I think it was a good decision, personally. I think it's you have to stand up for yourself. You do have to stand up for yourself. You do have to stand up for yourself. You do have to you have to stand up for your character, for your integrity, for your dignity. Yeah. You know, when somebody is mocking you because it's hard to call that a bad decision or a wrong decision. I think he's saying the way he went about it is what he I had no other option. And I think the one thing that I I teach kids now is Mm -hmm. that you have lots of options, especially Mm -hmm. children today. So I look at myself at that time and say, you know. If I went home and told my parents I was being bullied, they would have been like, like, what's wrong with you? What's that? We just ran away from bombs and, and killing mm. and all that stuff. And we left and you're complaining about bullying. Like, what is that? You know, 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, definitely, it was a non-existent, I think, non-existent issue. Mm. And same thing, you know, I was the youngest of my siblings. I, I used to stand up. So you're already brothers. used to everyone. Yeah. Was, yeah but they were like, well, you. if you're going to be a tough guy at home, then yeah. you better be a tough guy outside too. You know, you, you all, you know, standing up to your brothers, but then outside people are saying all these things to you and you're not saying anything. Yeah. So it was, I remember that in the back of my head and I was like, you know what? If somebody says, you know, a racist word to me or makes fun of me or something like that, I'm going to tell them, don't say that. Like, that's yeah. not cool. Yeah. You know, maybe at times where it's a group, I would try to like deflect it and make a you know, joke out of it. Yeah. And then it kind of like deflects. But if, if I felt like I was being pushed against the wall, I was going to stand up for myself. And um, it's, again, it's a know, dance. It's a dance. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, and those are, I think, you know, my failing moments. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm going to d- defer with you. And I respect, you know how much I respect you, but I'm thinking to myself, it's like, look at, look at life, right? You, you're the youngest of your, amongst the youngest of your siblings. So everyone's constantly bigger around you as you're growing up. You don't realize this because you're having a good time, but you you have to keep up, right? You don't realize that. But then, and then you go through this experience of having to, you know, give up, lose. Uh, that trial through the mountains, that 16 days changes life. Mm-hmm. Like you, you sound like, yeah, I was having fun. I was looking forward, but you couldn't just eat whenever you wanted to eat. You couldn't sleep whenever you wanted to sleep. Sometimes you're sleeping and the road is bumpy or you're uncomfortable or you're in a place that's too cold. And, and there's all of this stuff going on. So when that moment comes that you do, you now, you, in the future, when you're facing somebody, you actually have the choice to say, hey, that's not cool. Like you saw that as a choice. But that choice was something that you kind of earned the ability to, 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 to execute on because of what you went through in like a, a much more challenging past. So standing up to a bully <laughs> is like, hey, man, that's not cool. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with it. But I think you had a choice and you were, con- you were conditioned. You were strong enough to be able to do that. 
because of these other things that happened in the past. I find that interesting. The, the, I think the difference between the immigrant child who doesn't know his options and a child who grows up in Canada and knows those options is that you can go to your teacher and talk yeah. to them and say, you know what? This person was saying this stuff to me and now he's threatened that he's going to go and, and beat yeah. me up after school. You don't have that. I did that. I, yeah. Yeah. You did that. Yeah, I did do that. And I got two types of responses. What, what Some teachers were like, hey, stop, stop bullying him mm-hmm. or stop doing it because teachers are, they're great. They're great to have around us. And they did do that for me. Mm-hmm. But then right after they did that, street credit goes yeah. even lower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, my God. Like, what did I just yeah. do? Right. Now I have no dignity right. out here. And then the other one, they're all like kind of give it to you in the best form mm-hmm. that they can. But the other one said to me, stop complaining. Yeah. Stop being such a whatever and like pay no mind. Yeah. So those weren't really better options for the immigrant kid. I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, anyway, I'm just saying what I felt on and the I think other it, side of it's, that. I think it's an ongoing thing, too. Like, I'm hearing your story. I remember my son in grade four being bullied, right? And and he was physically, he was getting yeah. ridiculed. And then it was getting to the point where he was getting physical. And yeah. they just do, like, yeah. they'd trip him. And yeah. then they'd push yeah. him into walls and things like that. Right. And it just got to the point where there was enough, enough. And, and you know, he would assert himself verbally. And I went, I remember um, his dad and I went to the school and we sat with the principal and I'm a school social worker. So this is the school social worker saying this, like, right. right? But now I'm a mom, right? And so I just said to them, I said, you need to deal with this. This is happening in your building on your time. But push, if push comes to shove and this child trips my child again or pushes him again or hits him again, I've given my child permission to like respond with that, not initiate aggression, but respond with that because it was getting to a point where the physical stuff was escalating, right? It was just little things and it would just escalate. And I think they were trying to see if he would assert himself physically. And he's a very athletic and strong kid. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to touch anyone. I'm like, a hundred percent. That's always the first path, Mm -hmm. but we've tried all of these. And if they hit you, it's okay to defend yourself. You're not initiating, you're defending. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a delicate balance. It it's so it's so muddy because I do hear what you're saying with not going to the physical place, particularly in the context of what we're looking at as a society now for youth with their access to, you know, weapons and all kinds mm-hmm. of different dynamics that are happening in our communities. So I do hear what you're saying loud and clear that way. It's such a balance that way because the kid might move from, I'm being bullied to go gain a knife or but go getting is, a gun but really so, quickly, right? But it is so important. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not encouraging anybody no. to, go, to go get a knife or anything like that. No. But I can tell you lying down is not an option. Right. Right? It, because after that, getting up after that is even harder. Yeah. Because then you know how you see internalize. You use that term, we internalize We it. internalize it. He didn't it. internalize it much. He, he displays that. That he, uh, from what I'm hearing it, he just, you know, he he acts from outside. It's a gift. Yeah. I would internalize it and I'd accept it, and then it makes it until today I fight the demon because I I've been there, and then it goes deeper and deeper, and then you just succumb. Yeah. And you just give up. Like I'm telling you, I had a nightmare about this, like literally last night, on something else that I'm an, that an opportunity turns out, which is a challenge for me. But I'm just saying this to you because it's it's resonating with me so much. You say you stood up. 
And today you're thinking like, you're saying to yourself that there were alternatives. There's yeah. alternative because, you know, not every fight goes your way. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. And, you know, you but get, you fought. You know, but you fought, but you also get beat up. Sure. Yeah. And then a few I'll take that. friends take a few shots on you as well. Sure. And then you're out of that circle that people had around you. You're uh-huh. walking out that circle with tears in your eyes. Right. Yeah. With your head down. Right. You know, crying home. Yeah. And that's not a nice place to be either. And that's, so you've been you know, there too. I've been there for sure. Yeah. I've been there for sure. And so it's when not, you made that decision, so talk about that. So you made that decision. It's psychological. You went back and... Uh, so, so now you're, you're second-guessing that move as well. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's psychological, right? Because I felt like I was strong enough to, to, to stand up to people. And so, you know, person comes in the schoolyard, everybody's leaving the school... And, you know, they walk towards you and, you know, you're trying to be a, a tough guy. And maybe the first guy, you drop your bags, you go at it, you take him down. I remember my principal, Mr. Goldberg, was an amazing guy, honestly. Like, he kind of understood what I was going through and he wasn't too hard on me. You two sit down, okay, don't ever do it again. And then he would kind of be, like, kind to me. Mm. You'd see me in, in, in hallways and smile at me. And I, I love the guy yeah. to this day. But then, you know, one specific time... Um, you know, we went, we were in the schoolyard, everybody's leaving and the guy's walking towards me. So I stopped because I'm thinking it's going to go. And then obviously mm-hmm. the teachers are going to come and stop it. And the guy walks past me with all of his friends. Mm-hmm. He's not fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So I go mm-hmm. and he's waiting for me in an area where it's not school area anymore. It's just a big open area and all his friends are there and I have to walk past there. Mm-hmm. So I have a choice now. I can run back the other way and go into the security of my school or go past it and, and face it. But it's psychological. I'm seeing him and all of his friends waiting for me. Yeah. I've already lost the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I don't even really fight. I'm, I'm going through the motions. So you, takes me down. So what did you do? You kept going? Yeah, I kept going. Okay. I faced see? it. You kept going. But it's, but it's not. It's, you didn't turn it's around. Not, yeah, I didn't turn around. I, I faced it. I, I I walked up. I went through the motions. I didn't even try, but I was trying to like. Right. You know, and today you them. would not encourage somebody to do that. Absolutely not. No. Mm. You know, again, because you don't know. See, the I find ending. that so interesting because I think because you walked forward on that. There's other things we're going to talk about in terms of your journey, but it's funny that you say you walked there, and now I can connect that to two years ago when you're managing your. Taekwondo studio in COVID and all the other Taekwondo studios are closing. To me, that's the same exact situation. You're facing something. You're outside of your comfort zone. And what do you do? You keep going. I find that to be the exact same thing. And I believe that you walked at it the first time. And that's now I'm understanding why you didn't turn around and close your studio. Mm. <laughs> had you turned around that day, I wonder if you would have turned around this day. <laughs> I think it's, it's just about options. You know, mm. um, when the pandemic happened and, you know, I had to keep going, mm. it's because I felt like I had no option. Mm. I think as, as children, we do have options. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there are people that will listen to us. You know, like that teacher that said, you know, like, and keep speaking down. until someone does listen. Absolutely. I think that's the, the message that's too, right? That's the beautiful right? thing that we teach in Taekwondo is that yeah. you do have a voice. Yeah. People will listen to you. You just have to keep saying it. If the first person doesn't yeah. hear you, keep saying it until somebody does. Don't keep it inside you. And I think I had an issue with that by keeping it inside me. Mm-hmm. Because I really, I couldn't complain to people about bullying. Again, you know what? 
I'm from Afghanistan. I've come from a way worse place. Yeah. You know, we've been through worse. Like, you can't complain about this. Like, you've been through a lot already. So get over it and keep going back to school and sit there and get good marks. That's yeah. all you have to do. They don't realize the psychological impact of that that causes, Absolutely. right? Especially yeah. at that time. You know, yeah. we're just understanding the psychological effects of it now, yeah. especially for people who are keeping it inside them right. and don't say anything. Well, it, it has a lot of value to hear you say you know, the person who did it saying, don't do it. Right. That, so, you know, mm -hmm. you know what it's like to do that. I know what it's like to go the other way because I've gone the other way. And I say to myself, I should have gone. But if I'm talking to you today, you're saying to me, there is another option. Mm -hmm. Because and, you don't know the result of it. Right. You yeah. don't know if you're going to win that fight or you're not. And if you're not going to win that fight, you don't know how it's going to end. Mm. It could end really badly. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, especially, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, no, I just no, no, want no. to say this no. because this is very important. Yeah. I think when we're teaching bullying, we paint everything with a single brush. We don't know the, the neighborhood that they live in. Mm -hmm. We don't know their exact age. We don't know what their abilities are. I also grew up in government housing, you know, for, for a very long time. And it was a rough part of town. Yeah. You, you know, you don't talk about bully. You don't complain. You just keep your head down and you just go home right. and you just do what you have to do. And that's it. And we got lucky because no one really picked on us either because we lived in the neighborhood. So a lot of the people that were kind of like the tough ones in the neighborhood, they didn't want to have issues with the neighbors. They wanted to have yeah, a good they, neighborhood. Yeah. They wanted to deal with the outsiders. Yeah. If anybody came from outside, they mm. would be you know, mugged and, and, and beaten and robbed and all that stuff. But because they knew who we not were. Not the people in, the, in the their people niche. In the niche, yeah. yeah because yeah. then we complain and then now they have issues within their own community. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. it was important. So I think when we talk about bullying and standing up for yourself, I think, again, um, and, I, and I say this when I teach Taekwondo, is we really teach communication. So when we're mm -hmm. kicking and punching, we're keying up, we're having the confidence to use our voice to, you know, it may feel weird by saying, ah, ah, but we're actually using it's our voice. It's very empowering. It is very empower empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's important for us to use our voice and to say it in, in a meaningful way, in a strong way, so that the person who is bullying us understands mm -hmm. it. We're standing up like, that's not cool what you're saying. I don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Continues, you go to your teacher, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously you get home and you say, Mom, Dad, you know, this is what happened to me today. Yeah. And it, this is how it made me feel. My son is four years old and he's already understanding feelings. He's like, oh, I was in the blue zone today. And yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. Mm. Then I can understand what he's feeling. Where he's feeling, and, he's where feeling and where and it comes in his body it. too, right? And what happens for him. Sure. Yeah. So... You know, and one of the things they don't talk about a lot is the people who are bullying are usually some of the most saddest, traumatized people out there. And they're lashing out onto others to you know, elevate themselves. So I remember speaking to what you're saying is through the communication and using your voices when I was going through this with my son was be like, talk about how you feel. I feel like this when you do that. Or how would you feel if, if someone said that to you? So when they say the nastiest thing, flip it back. How would you feel about that? Or just, 100%. just flip the switch on the dialogue because when you look at something through even shifting perspective or through a compassionate lens, um, the person on the other side, they're going to be taken back from that. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? You're not, you know, you're not throwing a dig at me. You're not throwing a punch at me, but you're like, where's that coming from? Or how do you, how would that make you feel? Right. So 
You, you know, I, I agree with you 100% because now I think about the people that were, you know, bullying me and pushing me around and I think about them and yeah, they were, um, I think they were victims themselves. They were, yeah. themselves. they were going through something. Yeah. And I think they're trying to mask that by 100%. putting that on you and making you feel like yeah. that. So I think having the, that conversation to be like, you know what, that makes me feel sad. Like, yeah. I'm really sad by what you said. And it's tough for a child, you know, who is maybe 10, 11, 9, whatever, yeah. to be able to to say those words. But and we, have to, it. But we, have, <laughs> yeah, to we have to teach them. We have to teach them. We do have to teach them. And that's yeah. the responsibility of the teacher to be like, you guys are going through this. You know, this is not good because you're making this person feel sad. Yeah. You know, how would you feel if someone said that to you or made fun of your family or yeah. your background or your name or you know, yeah. all that stuff? So it's it's I know teachers have a lot to deal with. But this is an important issue as well. But it's teachers, it's coaches, it's parents, oh, it's, it's, it's aunts it's and everywhere. uncles, it's all of us. It's we everywhere. all have that responsibility, right? So, because it's it's a community to that's, raise a child. That's a huge takeaway for me personally mm-hmm. to hear you say that, because I was again, I, I was not the one who would fight. I would one, I just, I couldn't win a fight. Forget about it. So to hear you say that, because to me, I was like, I made the wrong decision. I should have fought, and I should have fought harder. And um, I'm thinking to myself, hearing you say that as a person who did engage to say that, no, 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 there's a better decision still. Mm -hmm. I think that means a lot because somebody who says take the other road, who hasn't taken the first road in the first place, can't speak to it. Right. And you have taken the other road. And yet you say, no, there is a better one. So I really appreciate you saying that. Mm -hmm. You you can think of it as as both ways. Mm -hmm. You you take the challenge on and you fight and you hurt the other person. How is that going to make you feel now as a professional adult looking back 20 years later and be like, that you hurt someone. That kid was suffering himself. He was a victim himself. And and you made it even worse for that person. You lost the fight and you go home in tears, you know, and with bruises and scratches and your head down and you deal with that trauma of that and the Friends laughing at you as you walk out of that circle. Okay. That's the other one as well. So enough with the analysis. Now we're, <laughs> you're back. No, this is important mm. that we did that. But now I want to go back to what you just said right here. So you're going back, your head is down, you're in tears. Then what? You go wait for the bus at the bus stop. <laughs> 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 you, you took your beating. You yeah. take your beating and you just feel like the lowest form of humanity. Like you just feel really, really bad. So how did that then uh, then change to like the next morning? What, what changed? Did so you sleep you just, it off? Like what? <laughs> yeah, you just, I, I think, yeah, you just wake up and you, you know, you don't feel like that anymore. But obviously people and, you know, people know like you, you took that fight on and you lost. And yeah. so, you know, whether it's. Do you remember the next day? <laughs> I, I don't remember the next day, okay. but you know what? I think it kind of, it kind of, um, it's important because I feel the same way when I used to fight in Taekwondo when mm-hmm. in competition. Mm-hmm. So when I lost, I used to take my losses incredibly um, serious, yeah. very, very personally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Just beat yourself beat up. Beat yourself after. up afterwards, yeah. and That's I was so hard on myself. And you know, because I was trying so hard to be somebody, mm-hmm. and here I am going to whatever tournament and losing, and then I was like, you know, and it, and it was hard. But now I teach, you know, I teach my athletes, like, I know you lost. Yeah, it's okay to be dissect the issue and learn from it and apply the lessons next time. So you're looking forward to the next 
event instead of yeah. like always being in one moment and beating yourself what up. What did you do well in that moment? Or what, where did that person get the take on you that you can strengthen mm. for the next time where there's a, you know, a gap in your skills or, you know, proficiency there, right? But yeah. you need a, a, a good coach yeah. to be able to sit and analyze Observe that with and you. break it down. But if you're doing it by yourself in, in, in anything, yeah. you know, and you don't have anybody that kind of... Uh, to bounce it bounce off. off. It's very, very difficult. And again, you know, I, I hope we're okay to talk about this, you know, immigrant issue is that, you know, as a child, I didn't really have any role models. I didn't have anybody that I could really talk to. Nobody had really done it here for me to be like, I want to be like that person. Mm. So who do I talk mm. to? Who do yeah. I emulate? Mm. Who do I open up to? Nobody. You just had your family. You just yeah. had my family. And my yeah. family was busy trying to bring food to the table yeah. on a daily basis. So mm. how do I talk to them? You know, my mom is cooking for five hungry boys, you know, six, including my dad, you know. Mm. So mm-hmm. like, how do I can't talk to her? She's she doesn't she doesn't understand me. I can't talk to my dad. He's busy trying to adjust to his new life, his new norm. My brothers are kind of like they're in their own world as mm-hmm. well. Right. So yeah. who older, do I talk yeah. to? So I, then... What so did you, you do if you have nobody to talk to? So you just, I think it just builds. You just keep going through the motions. It just builds and builds and you try to play this role. And, you know, until until I got to high school and high school was kind of a, a better place because it was a new environment, a new school, new friends, new teachers, almost like a new beginning. Mm-hmm. And I spoke English better. I yeah. understand the, the importance of fitting in, you know, the social circle. Used to the culture a bit more. Absolutely. So what you're saying is then, again, I'm just going to say this back to what I just heard you say, is you got nobody to talk to about a a situation. Like everybody, even the ones that are closest to you, you feel like either they got what they got to deal with or can't relate, right? And you just what? You just keep going. Because it's interesting when you come out of that, it's not like it's like um, from one moment right to the next. There's like, it's a it's a transition, right? It's gradual, right? And you don't know how long it's going to take when you're going through it, but you just keep going. You just keep going. <laughs> okay, and that's an important mm-hmm. thing to it talk is, about. It is an yeah. important thing. Yeah, it's also important of the kind of friends that you have around you mm-hmm. and how they make yeah. you feel based on the events that happen to you. There's always somebody. Eh? There's always somebody, and mm-hmm. I think you know if your friends are like, okay, it's all right, man. Let's go have some lunch together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's okay. Like, uh, I know what you went through mm-hmm. and it's tough, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's, it's um, you know, adult version of having that conversation, mm-hmm. but children have a way of communicating to each other yes. in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you kind of like get lost in that moment with your friends. So mm-hmm. I think having friends who don't judge you based on your wins yeah. and losses is important. Right. Um, and I think you had that and I had that. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, and I think I was, I was lucky, you know, m- my friends empathized with me, you know, they understood the feelings that I went through and they were, you know, they couldn't stand up for me or they couldn't fight for me, but they, they stood beside me and they were like, okay, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. So, so just, I want to look at that a little closer because let's just say, I, I guess my question to you is, is were they your friends because they didn't judge you? Like, were they your friends first, but did they become your friends better after that moment because they didn't like, you know what I'm saying? Like, did you know to go to them because they're friends or did you find that they're not judgmental? So that's where I'm going. Like, is that what kept you there? Do you get what I'm saying? Sure. Because now you're fighting. There's this conflict. There's people you can't go to. You're somewhat alone. But then you find it based on that. People who are not judgmental. So even if you don't have somebody to talk to, that's your guide. 
I, I don't know how we became friends. <laughs> exactly. We just kind of like found right. each other. Right. And we just kind of connected and we, you know, we, we, we remained friends throughout yeah. middle school. There's this really interesting time. magnetism that happens in peer groups. They, you, they really, the kids who need each other right. find each other or if the kids that are going through similar challenges, they, I've seen this so many times they mm-hmm. like magnets to each other it's really interesting like the law of attraction kind yeah. of thing like, it's know, really that's what I call interesting it. Yeah. right yeah. yeah so you trust it right you, yeah you trust it and you know they you you kind of hang out but obviously they would probably prove themselves too at that moment sure. yeah. when you lose the fight and you show up to the school next day and they they want nothing to do with you i think mm. you realize that that's not really my friend right, right. but they still want to you know they you know you sharing lockers together or something like that or you're side by side or you know you're the same homeroom, and then you, you have lunch together, whatever. You just kind of stick together. I remember reading about that somewhere. Like, you know, when, when you fall down at some point in time, you learn about three types of people, right? The, the person that took you there to, to, fall you, to, to make you fall down, the person that walked away, and the, <laughs> and person, the person that stayed that with you, you or came can. towards you. And they say there are two kinds that come towards you, right? The one that kicks you while you're down and then the, the one, one that, that lifts you up. There's two kinds even yeah. there, right? So there's yeah. like four kinds of people you got to be aware of. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, is that that's the beauty of the fall down, too. That that's when you discover who your friends are. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's beauty in that. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think? Well, because it's a th- an authenticity then to the relationship. And you yourself right? say, you don't know, like, how, but they, somehow they find yeah, each other. Yeah, they do. Like, that's make another sort of thing that gives me a lot of, like, you know, that go, that what I'm trying to focus on is that, that balance between the, the hope and despair, right? So, like, you got nobody to talk to, you got, and somehow, right? It's, it's out there for you. And whether you go looking for it or it comes to you somehow, somehow, you yourself said you don't remember how we became friends. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. <laughs> and then, you know, when I got to high school, <clears throat> you know, new environment, new beginning. And I, and I think I was in grade 10 when I started Taekwondo. Yeah. And I started to really appreciate the value of a positive environment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do Taekwondo for a very long time. Um, you know, we were in Afghanistan and my oldest brother was doing a little bit of boxing uh, or some form of martial art. And I was like, I want to do it. And my parents were like, no, you know, we, they knew we weren't staying. Yeah. They didn't tell me that. They, they're like, no. So when we got to Pakistan, uh, my second oldest brother, Adib, was doing Taekwondo. And I loved it. I used to sometimes go and watch him and I was, and I was in love with it. You know, you watch Bruce Lee movies on TV. You watch Bollywood movies on TV and there's like these strong characters, this action. You know, Bruce Lee deals in a lot of his movies about racism as well mm-hmm. in Japan and China. Mm-hmm. And um, you know how he stood up for himself? Really like, uh, you, you know, I, I So it was an like influence that. on you before you even got here? I think, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Actually, I think so. And I think uh-huh. standing up for yourself against people like that, you see that in, in movies and things like that. So you found a Taekwondo club somehow. So, so my oldest brother, uh. his friend, was um, a Taekwondo uh, um, athlete, but he was going to another club. And he's like, I hear that you really want to do it badly. So if you want to go, this is the place to be. And the reason this was the place to be was because the coach in that place that was teaching the whole thing was the Olympic team coach. Mm. He was coach for 88 um, Seoul Olympics, for 92 Barcelona Olympics. He had developed medalists in both Olympics. Um, there was everybody that was training in the high performance program there were like either national champions or Pan Am champions. So the place was just a magnet for like developing high quality athletes. So I went there and, you know, I, it was like, you know, all these years of me wanting to do it and do it. It's like I was being held back, you know, mm-hmm. first because we weren't going to stay there. Then when we came to Canada, 
We couldn't afford it for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, they just let go. How many years after you landed? So 1989, so five years. Five years, yeah. Five years to be here, having that, like, the background of seeing your brother do this, then you, and it wasn't on the other side of town. It was... Was it, it was actually, it, it was was, uh, it? was at least an hour bus ride. So you yeah. take it a bu- I used to an take hour the bus, bus ride. Yeah, yeah. I take, take the bus there and take the bus back in, in late at night. And it was, it was, it was an incredible experience. And so, you know, here I was again, not as good as everybody else, but I had really the effort of everybody else. Yeah. I was trying just as hard as everybody else. And at first, I used to get beat up a lot. You know, I used to go there. At the Taekwondo Club? At the Taekwondo Club. What do you mean beat up? You mean losing sparring (laughs) matches? Losing sparring matches, Okay, so you weren't getting beaten up, but you you were losing. You're getting beaten up, but in a a, a a healthy way. In a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so obviously you're sparring, and you're getting kicked, and you're you're moving, but you're learning. You know, obviously they see you're a lower belt, so they're controlling their kicks. They're not trying to hurt you, but they're also telling you, like, I'm better than you, so just watch yourself. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... When you're trying to learn, the best way to learn is to keep going. Yeah. You know, don't give up just because you, you're a bit scared of it. So keep moving forward. And so after a few months of being pushed around and, and, and stuff, I learned that I could block. You know, then I learned to block and then I learned to move and mm-hmm. avoid that contact altogether. Mm-hmm. And I'd say probably in about a year or a year and a half, I was able to maybe throw one kick mm-hmm. in, getting kicked 10 times and throw one kick in. And in 1994, I had just joined. And then <clears throat> by 1995, my coach was like, you know what? I'm going to put you in, in provincials. Let's go. So even though I was a color belt, he gave me a temporary black belt. He lent me a black belt and say, I'm going to register you for the provincial so championship. You weren't a black belt yet. I wasn't a black belt. Wow. So he said, let's go. And I just, I won. It yeah. was the most incredible um he just saw it in you. Who's this coach? Is that Master, Master, Master De Santos Master and Master Santos. Chung? Okay. They kind of work together. Master Chung. Yeah, Master Have I Chung. met Master Chung yet? No. Probably have. He's come to a few of our black belt tests. We have. Okay. So he said, yeah, he said, let's go. And, you know, there's so many lessons in that provincial. Well, yes. I, I, I kinda, can we pause here for just one second? Yeah. Because, like, I, I could do, we could do another session just on, like, this next mm-hmm. two years that he's going to talk about. Um, there's so much there to, to cover. Uh, What's I, our time? I don't know. Time. And I just wanted to, if it's okay, just take a pause. Um, some of us, when the losses, they pile up, there's this like, I'm out of time. I feel like you ever feel like you're out of time. You're out of energy. You're exhausted. You know, uh, what do you say to that? It's a parting word. I think um, you, know, you you have to look at, us, look at it yourself and say like, oh, what do I have to lose really if I don't keep going. And I think a lot of times we hold ourselves back because, because we, we, we look at, you know, the risk-reward factor of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think if the risk to lose so much is greater than the gain that you're going to have, then obviously you're going to make the decision that is going to save you. And I think, you know, going coming from Afghanistan and to Pakistan and to Canada, I think you know, I didn't really have much to lose. You know, I, I had a lot to gain and the experiences to gain and to, to look forward to the next mm-hmm. next thing. Uh, but as adults, you know, when we're making, you know, when we're faced with business decisions, it's not just about us. It's also about our kids and our families. And I think, you know, you, you, know, if you have to look at it and, you know, make proper decisions and be like, you know, what am I going to lose if I make this decision? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how is it going to affect not only me, but my family as well? Mm-hmm. So um, I, would, I would strongly recommend, you know, people to just, you know, make decisions, obviously, that's going to benefit them and their families. In it, you know, and I think a lot of people use that as, as fuel to keep mm-hmm. going. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, we will have a chance to talk about this and, you know, in terms of like the pandemic and how, you know, I, I lost like close to 80% of my business at the time. Mm-hmm. But honestly, at that moment, uh, you know, I, I looked at my kids and be like, yeah. you know, what am I going to do? And it's like, keep going forward. Keep going forward. There's like no way. Yeah. yeah. There's no way. That Crazy how yeah. it comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Like. And I think the other thing too, to what you were speaking to is your life shifted from like grade five, six, when you're coming into Canada to high school for a number of factors like English and so forth, but you found your community. And I think that is a pivotal piece is people finding their community. And the sad part is, is often finances are a barrier for children and youth to find their communities to build on all those skills too. Right. So um, I think, but there's just, it's just inviting different opportunities to have that community around kids for that growth is so important for all of us adults as well. Right. But it's 100%. such a pivotal, pivotal time in our lives. hundred percent. And I, and that's why it's important for parents to put their kids in different activities to yeah. help them find their community, find what they're good at, find where they're going to thrive. Yeah. Let them try music. Let them try dance. Let them try martial arts, you know, take them to those math classes or whatever it is, whatever they whatever need to is. do, but yeah. you need to put them in lots of stuff and see what sticks, you know, yeah. a lot of, you know, um, and I think that's that's very important. You know, yeah. let them help them find yeah. their community where they feel, you know, like, you know, when I'm teaching, you know, when I'm teaching or when I was training Taekwondo, I, I really feel like I come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it was through that trial and error, trying different things. And I found a place and then, you know, almost, you know, close to like 20, 25, almost 30 years, I've, I haven't never looked back. Wow. So I'm taking your permission that we're going to have you back here multiple times. <laughs> whatever we got to do on the schedule, we will do. I'd love uh, to. I really yeah. appreciate, really appreciate the time uh, and the way in which you articulate um, and the messages that come from that. So thank you very much. I just want to thank you so much for your time today. I think um, you have so much to share through your lived experiences that are not only applicable for where adults are at today, but also everyone kind of going through change at any point in their life, because there are so many kids that are in your situation coming to Canada today, right now. And just to hear, I think there's so much value for them to hear your voice. And I love that you did that recent talk at a school because there's so much value for them to see someone. Like you said, you didn't have a role model to look up to when you came here. So now you're filling that gap of being that role model for the child that you once were. So um, I love to have you back again. We to- we have so much to offer. We have so much wisdom and knowledge and experience to share. I think that's a value to people. And I just really want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for, for seeing value in it. I just feel like these are my experiences. I'm not really, I don't really see myself as an expert in any area. I just share my experiences. So I really appreciate your time and the conversations we've had. I really love this, this uh, opportunity. Thank you guys so much.